Well, welcome to Studio A in Las Vegas. I'm Pedro Jose Greer, they call me Joe, and this is Cuba Pete, No Laughing Matter. I'm the founding dean at the Roseman University College of Medicine, and the idea is to have these important guests and see the intersection between society, health, health outcomes, and what we need to change in medical education today. Today I am humbled and extremely proud to have Ms. Allie Haynes Hamblin, who is the director of the City of Las Vegas Office of Cultural Affairs, of which she's been here now four years, right? Yep. You came from uh, being the director of the Scottsdale Center for Performing Arts. Mm -hmm. They have some money down in Scottsdale. A little bit. A little bit of money, don't yep. they? So arts is important. <laughs> I personally believe that arts is one of the vital aspects that we're missing in medical education. At our last institution, we actually started the first nine weeks with the Ethical Foundations of Medicine because we had philosophers teaching them about not just critical thinking, but how the arts intersect. And this was an entire division known as uh, the Division of Ethics, Humanities, Arts, and Design Teaching. Nice. And you're quite an accomplished young woman. Let's see. BA at the University of Denver in theater. Yep. MBA at Regis University. Mm-hmm. Little Catholic institution, by the way. <laughs> Completed the 2005 International Festival Encounters with the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Now, I, I, I really like that one because of all combinations, I have Scots-Irish background and Cuban. I'm oh, Cubish. Nice. So, so <laughs> I always say I'm from one poor, small, corrupt Catholic island to another. But the <laughs> first time my wife and I went to Ireland... They asked me, what is your cultural background? And I said, well, Scots-Irish. And I remember the young man looking at me saying, pick one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know that also in, uh, in Scotland, it's one of the most advanced and progressive teaching of medical education as well as the arts. Wow. And uh, so you, she, she was also the second cohort of the Association of Performing Arts Prof uh, Professors of Leadership Fellows Program. And in 2013, received the mentoring award from the Western Art Alliance. Wow. Now, you came in here to Las Vegas in 2017, said you wanted to expand the role of your department. I did, yeah. Did did. yeah. Talk, let's talk about that. So, you know, the Office of Cultural Affairs is a small department for the city of Las Vegas, you know, comparatively to some of the other departments that exist. But our role is so huge. It really touches just about every aspect of the city's work. Um, so we work really closely with our public works team. We work really closely with our economic and urban development team. We even work closely with our parking services team. Um, and so I really was looking forward to taking the work of the department and spreading it out citywide, working with as many different departments as we could, but also really making sure that we got out into the community and really helped the community to understand the role that arts has in not just putting up pretty paintings or making nice sculptures on the street corner, but actually making society a better place to live. And, and, and I had read that you had mentioned that Las Vegas is rich in the talent of artists that it has. Oh, yes. I mean, this one of the things that attracted me to moving here was the fact that that this is a city that is run by creative professionals. You know, if you really look at the gamut, right. you know, there's a heavy reliance on tourism, but what's driving that tourism? And it's, you know, a lot of the big shows that are on the Strip. People love to come here to gamble, but when they're taking a break from gambling, they're going to go in and see a Cirque show, or they're going to go into the small theater and watch a lounge singer do a beautiful set. And so, you know, there's just this great variety of artists that work 
across the spectrum, all the way from, you know, the high dollar entertainment, all the way down to local community theater groups. And it's really everywhere. If you stop and take the time to look around, you realize that there's very few neighborhoods in Las Vegas that are untouched by artists. And I've seen that, and it looks beautiful, by the way. You've done a, a spectacular job. We're, we've been here about a year and three months. Oh, wonderful. And uh, we consider ourselves Las Vegans already. We love this place. This has been really, really nice. And it's also nice to get away from hurricanes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Although you guys have a monsoon season here, which I brace for. That's true. Because of the flooding, uh, that could be very, very dangerous. So I, you have a lot of youth programs. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by that, not just in the performing arts, but teaching them different aspects of art. Yeah, absolutely. So really, you know, I believe that one of the best ways to make sure that arts it continues to be integral to the fabric of our society is hooking people in when they're young and starting with youth education and really making sure that our young people understand the foundation of the arts, why we follow certain principles in different arts disciplines and how that translates to their work in lots of other subject areas that they're studying. So our youth arts education programs are designed both to create the artists of the future, but also to help create a more civilized society of the future. And not only that, by being in the arts, expanding your mind, Mm -hmm. you actually produce creative and critical thinkers, which are so essential that we've lost a lot of that. I know we've lost that in medicine Mm -hmm. because we, our students come in as great memorizers, not realizing that the world is not an algorithm. So we like them immersed in the arts Mm -hmm. and also as a way of expression. We do a lot of narrative writing and reflections. And the reason we do that is one of the forms of arts that I think is so important is the ability to express oneself. Yeah. So you express yourself on a painting and a sculpture and a performance. But if we're going to make change in this country for the better, mm-hmm. a physician that cannot tell a story right. cannot make a change. And also, as medicine is changing technologically, the role of the doctor is shifting incredibly. I mean, when I was trained, and I'm old, we had a stethoscope, uh, a hammer, an <laughs> ophthalmoscope, an otoscope, right. and uh, a tuning fork. Wow. Nowadays, you have all this advanced technology. We, didn't have to, we, we used to have to memorize everything in pharmacology. Now it's on your phone. Wow. Now, at the bedside, you have an ultrasound, Mm -hmm. that you could do a bedside ultrasound. Now there's algorithms that'll tell you which is the best therapeutic interventions to do and things of that nature. So the art of communication, which has been lost quite a bit in my profession, and not just communication, but the art of listening. Right. That it becomes important that we change that. There's a lot we need to change in my profession, and I say that because let's look at the health outcomes of this country. Yeah. So... I had served in two presidential administrations, Bush Sr. and Clinton, and I remember during health reform, one of the things I found most amazing was, like everything else in Washington, everybody believes we have to change except for what we do. Right. We got that right, but everybody else needs to change. Well, we needed to look at our own profession, see what we needed to change. We have, uh, we could be classified as racist, sexist, xenophobic, and elitist. And why do I say that? Well, if 50% of uh, physicians are women, but only about 10% are in leadership, that's not, that's pretty sexist. If only 5% of American medical students are African-Americans and about one-third of that are in leadership positions, that's a problem. Yeah. And it's like 5.5% with Hispanics, and the same thing with the, uh, there's only um, five, five, four 
Hispanic deans in this country, wow. and three of them are in Puerto Rico. Wow. So, you know, we have to really say, okay, let's, let, let's be a little, let's shake this up, but let's produce the best physician for the future. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it, what you're doing is you're going into these areas of, the, of, of Las Vegas that many times we have the potential of getting a kid that's a first generation. Yeah. And we want that first generation kid. We have a master's program that we were uh, working out a deal with uh, University uh, or uh, Southern Nevada University, mm -hmm. where they can come in after the third year, get a master's degree, have two marketable degrees, and wow. then have the option of dental school, medical school, pharmacy school, or nursing school. And but we need them to come in, and they need to be critical thinkers, mm -hmm. and they need to be creative thinkers, and that's where the arts play such a major role. Yeah. Just for a student to learn how to look at a piece of art in a museum is teaching them the art of observation. Yeah. And one of the exercises that uh, I like doing, and I forgot the lady who created this, was there would be two people, one with blindfolds on and the other one sitting in the chair, and they would look at a piece of art. And then they would go, Okay, lights off, on, nothing on the screen. Take the blindfold off. Now, describe to them what you saw. Nice. And then you would have four similar scenes. Mm -hmm. And they had to pick the one that you had seen. Wow. So the, the art plays such a major, major role, as well as with physicians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you had a way to teach art in medical schools, mm -hmm. What would you suggest we do? And not just as a separate class, but how do you integrate it into everything? Yeah, totally. You know, I think, um, I, just like you mentioned, you know, the power of observation is so important, but I would definitely want to incorporate, you know, basic principles of color and light and, um, and even illustration and how a picture is drawn and how a figure is built as you're drawing it and to think about how that would relate to a surgical procedure where, you know, you've, you, there's different layers of the human body that you're going into to get to the point where you're trying to heal the person that you're right. operating on and thinking about how that relates to drawing a picture of a person. You know, you can't just draw the shape you see. You've got to think about the skeletal structure underneath the muscles that are underneath the skin and how the organs fit into all of that in order to really accurately draw that human figure. Um, and so I think kind of incorporating those lessons that you learn in art into all your different medical classes can really help your students to think about how, how they're looking at their patients and how they're listening to what their patients are saying. You know, I, I love your example of describing a piece of art to somebody who was blindfolded and, and then looking at what they heard you right. say and seeing what the differences are. And that's, you know, that's totally fascinating. It is fascinating. You're the expert in this, so I'm going to be leaning on you a lot okay. as we develop our <laughs> curriculum and uh, get going with this. But art also expands your mind. Mm -hmm. It expands your cultural understanding, your historical understanding, which yeah. is so important that we don't really do or prepare our students for medical school. Yeah. I'd rather have a liberal arts major come into medical school Yeah, because we can teach them science. Yeah. There are some basics you need to know. But we need to produce clinicians. Yeah. We need to produce people, people, people. Yeah. And one of the things we need to teach is something that we've lost in our profession, our mm -hmm. virtues. 
humility and empathy. Yes. Art within itself also allows you the importance of the aesthetics of the surrounding of the person you're taking care of. Yep. Regardless of who they are, how rich or how poor they are. I mean, I always used to think that, you know, plastic surgeons, which made a lot of money, if I would not hang a Picasso in the... Uh, <laughs> Probably wouldn't convey the right message. Not, not at for. all. Not at all. So the... Right. Uh, so all these become important. Now we're going to be doing a project, hopefully, together. We yep. have a system which we call household-centered care, yep. where we're going to be taking our medical students, and we're going to go into the poorest communities in Las Vegas, and we're going to take care of these families, the students with interdisciplinary teams. Nice. They're going to be taking care of these families for four years. The program is called Genesis. And one of the things that... Uh, Dr. Lou Brewster developed, which I thought was one of the most important things, is our medical student, and there'll be nursing students and the pharmacy students and case workers and legal aid and things of that nature, has to ask when they get into the household, is they're never allowed to ask, how do you feel? They have right. to ask, what is your most urgent need? Mm. That does a lot for the physician. First and foremost, we shift the power differential. Yeah. They're no longer coming to the uh, ivory tower. We're going into somebody's home. Nice. When you ask somebody, what is your most urgent need? Now, I'm a gastroenterologist, and I have been now for 40 years. Been doing this community work for 38 or f of these 40 years. And every time I ask what's your most urgent need, nobody has ever said a colonoscopy. You don't know how disappointed I am. <laughs> but the, the reality is the physician has to understand where we fit in society. Yeah. And how do we make society healthier? Because the disparities here are horrible in yeah. this country. And COVID took that top off and just showed how bad it really was. So let's change that. But let's change that and produce change makers for the futures. And they have to have this art background to be able to do things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to describe what uh, you're going to be doing with us? Sure. Okay, sure. go ahead. So my understanding is that we'll be working on uh, creating wraps for these cars that are designed by local artists that will kind of help the community recognize when these cars come into the community to serve their um, their clientele. Um, so we'll be launching an art contest in coordination with some local arts consultants and really looking to open up the imaginations of our local artists and solicit some beautiful designs that we can then wrap these cars in so that they'll be highly recognizable. And we're hopefully going to have electric vehicles and they're going to be... Yeah. Limited edition. Nice. And Very nice. That, that's going to be who we are. And one of the things that I also want to be doing at the medical school, we have a lot of wall space. Nice. Why can't local artists utilize this as a gallery? Because if a donor comes in and likes a few pieces, let them buy it. Absolutely. And the uh, artists themselves can, because uh, it's not an easy life. It's a that's life. It's a hustle. You've got to keep hustling. You've got to keep hustling. <laughs> And the one thing is where medical students need to learn the arts and how to be critical thinkers, very few people in the arts, with the exception of yourself, understand anything about business. Right, right. So maybe we can marry these different things. Oh, that would be wonderful. Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? That's definitely something that I think is lacking in a lot of arts programs. You know, you mentioned, like, what do we need in the medical programs? In the arts programs, they really need more business-oriented classes and, and health classes. You know, I think there's, 
And you can mix them all together. Yeah. We, have, we have a thing we call Pathway that's by, uh, run by Dr. Cheryl Brewster. She's our senior nice. executive dean for diversity, <clears throat> equity, and inclusion. And she's also in charge of the pipeline, or the Pathway, as she calls it. I call it the Pathway, formerly known as the Pipeline, nice. formerly known as Prince. But anyways, <laughs> the, uh, is to get these kids interested. Yeah. And you know what? We'd love to bring in the different things we're doing because we believe very strongly in STEAM, not yes. STEM. Thank you. And very happy to hear that. That it has to be all put together because if you're going to be a scientist, if you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be a physician, you know what? If you don't understand society, you might be doing the wrong type of research or approaching it in a yes. very wrong way. So all of these things have to intermingle. So you and I are going to become best friends. Okay. I love it. Thank and you. one of the other things that we do is in medical schools, it's very common to give. Uh, community faculty positions, voluntary faculty. But why do you have to be an MD? Right. If you're teaching our students, you're part of the medical education. So we want to extend that to the people that do things like that, as well as the people in the community that might not even have a high school diploma. But their lessons are invaluable in producing the future physician. Yes. And so that, that, that's one of the things we're looking for. Awesome. So, and also, if you ever want us to go in there and do any health classes, We'd be more than happy to do that, too, because if, if you be mix awesome. it in with the arts, it just makes it something really, really special. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's one of the things that we teach in all of our youth arts education classes is the, the permission to dream and the permission to imagine a bigger life, a more exciting life. I shouldn't say more exciting life, but a more just society. And yes you know, permission to dream beyond the four walls that you might be in in your current situation. So it's, it's, that's, for me, a wonderful opportunity to bring in um, representatives from your university to talk to the students about what's possible. And, and, and from a university perspective, we have to get out of that uh, silo that we're in. Yeah. We have to be more of a part of education. Yeah. In a community. We talk about ourselves as educators. And one of the things I always say as uh, a doctoral uh, educator that we're the first ones to advocate change and the last ones to do it. But we have an opportunity here in Las Vegas to do something that can impact this country in an extremely meaningful way. That's so true. Something that can make a difference. Make a difference not just in the lives of those that we care for, Mm -hmm. but make a difference in the lives of those that want to be professionals. Nice. And make it something really, really important. The uh, and you know the 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 other thing is society's gone through a lot of changes this last year where art has been very important. Yes, the Black Lives Movements matter. Mm-hmm. That art is incredible. Yeah, I was watching a show this morning on a young man who is now gets paid to do uh, uh, painting on walls and you oh, know, like graffiti art. Graffiti yeah. art. But the first piece he ever did was. Uh, he died 25 years ago, Tupor, Tupac, uh, Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. And how he had not heard of him. Wow. He listened to his music. Mm. And so he did one of him and Malcolm X next to each other. Wow. So the art, the art of music. Yeah. Changed this kid's life in the art of expression. Nice. In graffiti art. And that's here in Vegas. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? That, that, that was well, super. Well, the best part is, as you mentioned, now he's done this graffiti mural with these two important figures of our yeah. history for future generations to look at and say, 
who's that person? I want to know more about that person. Like, that's a, that's a beautiful mural. It's really cool. I'm going to learn more about that person. So that continues the learning for generations to come. That's exciting. Not only that, as we're going through these different things with uh, especially the racism in this country and, and xenophobia yeah. and all the other things we listed, because it's not exclusive to my profession. Right. And is art is the expression that allows people to say, wow, that was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe that person was a hero. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm not looking at these things correctly. And it gives you that open mind. Absolutely. And it allows discussion. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. And I lo- one of the things that I love the most about arts, particularly in the performing arts, which is my background, is that not only does arts allow you that opportunity for discussion, but it almost requires failure and for you to learn from that failure and then to come back from it and say, okay, this, you know, I tried that and that didn't work. I tried that and that didn't work. And then you keep trying new things and you finally find something that works. And that's for me in the performing arts as an actor, you know, if I got to opening night and never had that frustrating moment where I just wanted to quit the whole thing, I got really nervous that I really hadn't done my work. You know, like that creative process necessitated me really pushing myself and pushing past those opportunities of, you know, trying to figure it out and failing over and over again. And that's another great lesson that, you know, our youth and frankly, a lot of our adults still have to learn about how to function appropriately in society. No, 100%. And, and actually, it's, it's, it's interesting because that aspect of not being afraid to fail, yeah. taking that leap, the, I look at it also from an investigative perspective, uh, research if you're going to think of big ideas, you can't be afraid to fail. It's required. Uh, it's you're going to fail, so you have to be prepared for and it. And <laughs> if you're going to be a medical student, it's okay to fail. Yeah. You know? Nobody's perfect. Exactly. And we give too much pressure with that. So you need a lot of support services with that. But the, it, it, it's allowing the mind to expand. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the most important things that we need to do big time in this country. Yeah. And we got a lot of healing to do. Mm-hmm. From not just recent history, but decades and centuries of Absolutely. these things. Absolutely, yep. Um, so, we're going to wrap these cars with local artists. Yep. We're going to have a contest. Yep. We're going to go into the communities. And one of the things we tell the medical students during orientation is you have four years to save the world. Nice. And you just wasted one week in orientation. <laughs> so we like to put a little pressure on them there to make them go. think that that's there, but they can't do it by themselves. Yeah. And we're so looking forward to this partnership. Me too. It, this is really going to be something, something incredible. Yeah. What else would you like to tell our audience? Well, I think, um, you know, part of the reason that I'm so excited to be here today is to really have this opportunity to talk about the fact that the arts and sciences are not mutually exclusive. And that, you know, if you're, if you want to be a scientist, that doesn't mean that art is, you know, a fluff item or a luxury or, you know, an extracurricular that you add on just to make your credits that really like the study of arts and the study of sciences are so interconnected to each other that it's, it's critical to know both. And so that to me is just exciting to have this conversation and to know that that's what you're building in this community. My my son's a performer. Nice. You know, this, let's see, that was 16 years of private Catholic education. Excellent. To become an improvisational comic. See? And uh, (laughs) I I asked him one day, I said, Joey, what what is improv? Mm -hmm. 
And he thought about it for a second, and he said, it's empathy. Wow. He says, if you don't listen, you can't respond appropriately. And I said, wow, maybe we should be teaching improv to medical students and all doctors yep. to listen, to respond appropriately to those things. Yeah. And so the, uh, I married way up, so I got smart kids. That's <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's, uh, my daughter's pretty funny. She does public interest law. Nice. She ended up at uh, Harvard Law School. But it was, it was funny because when she got into like every school from Yale on down and mm-hmm. I said, you can't go to Yale because my mother would pronounce it jail. We're, <laughs> we're Hispanic. And <laughs> that I have to do all this explaining. You can go to Harvard, just don't be like them. There and, you go. And uh, <laughs> I said, you know, I know you're smart. I married up and you like to help people. Why don't you want to be a doctor? And she goes, dad, you don't get it. She goes, you know when it's take your kid to work day and you're doing colonoscopy, seriously, you think that's something I'm interested in? But her second answer was very profound to me. She goes, you know, Dad, physicians are doctors to people. Lawyers should be doctors for society. Wow. And that has stuck with me. We have to take that expanded view of the world. Yeah. I'm a liver specialist. It's not about a liver. Mm-hmm. I went into hepatology because they just studied when I was in... Uh, in my internship, where Cubans had twice the incidence of liver cancer as the rest of Americans. Wow. It turned out to be when we finally, when uh, they discovered the antibody to hepatitis C, when we retested the blood, it was hepatitis C. Wow. But it was all related to what we call social determinants. And in this case, social determinants that did not affect the poorer class, but social determinants that the upper middle class and the wealthy. Hmm. Every Cuban family that could afford it had its own syringe and needle for vaccines and B12 shots. Oh, interesting. And you would boil it for 10 minutes, like they'd say, and it would kill every virus except for hepatitis C, back then known as non-A, non-B. And it's a very indolent virus because it takes 20, 30 years before it manifests itself in the liver. Mm. So, you know, uh, these patients all of a sudden, you know, your grandmother's coming in with cirrhosis and you're going like, wow, are you drinking in the closet or something? How how did this happen? And uh, it turned out to be that. And it also showed to me the importance of the social determinants. Yes. The things that cause up to 90% of all diseases, mm-hmm. but we never teach in medical school. Right. And, so, and if we had more of an expanded mind, mm-hmm. we could see those things because yeah. your lens gets broader. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking forward to working with you with. Nice. Let's, let's, let's here in Las Vegas, not what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but what happens in Vegas, let the world come here and see it. Yeah. Let them know that we can do things together. Not in isolation, but together to produce a healthier society with the arts, obviously a lot more fun society. Right, right. And uh, start taking care of some of these water issues also. Absolutely, absolutely. It has been such a pleasure to have you here. It's been a pleasure to be here. Really, I thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to doing all these things together and making this as great as we can. Awesome. Well, from Studio A in Las Vegas, this is Cuba Pete, No Laughing Matter, talking about things that are important in society to make our society healthier and educate and produce the greatest physicians we can. Thank you. When I play
Say the maracas, I go chick chicky boom, chick chicky boom. 